Well, our reading for today is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 1, and then verses 7 to 14. Jesus at a Pharisee's house. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they might invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. For those who are visiting or joining us for the very first time this morning, we began a new series last week called Surprise the World, based on the book by Michael Frost. And it explores five habits of highly missional People. These five habits form the acronym BELLS, which stand for bless, eat, listen, learn, and scent. And if you've, it's a very short and easy book to read. Uh, Many of you, I'm sure, up to this point have indeed read it. But what you will find from this book and from this whole idea is a very accessible idea, a very accessible concept, a way for us as a people to be more mindfully involved in the world missionally, to try and share the love of Christ more intentionally. Uh, And what I've found personally with this series, these, uh, these habits, if you like, is feeling a sense of, I can do this. (laughs) You know, it's, it is going to take some effort and it is going to take some work. But it doesn't feel too hard. It doesn't feel as though I have to add all of these extra things to my already busy life. I am left with a feeling of, you know what, I, I can do this. And I trust that that might be your experience as well. Now, at the end of the day, we're talking about five habits. Habits take time to make. Uh, and so for some of us, it might be a bit overwhelming Sometimes when it comes to forming new habits, we just get so overwhelmed, we give up. 
and we kind of move on. And the last thing that Terry and I want from this particular series is for us just to move on. We really trust that you will practice and try in your particular situation as best you can to see how you might develop some rhythms and some patterns that will propel you to be more missional, uh, that is, to be sent into the world to share the love of Christ with others. We heard from Mike Frost on a video last week that the kind of habits that are fostered within us uh, in church, as great as they are and as valuable as they are, are all internal. So we are in the habit of coming to worship on Sunday mornings. Many of us are in the habit of attending a midweek Bible study. Many of us are in the habit of tithing. Many of us are in the habit of serving in a various ministries that we might be rostered on for. We're in the habit of those things. But all of those things are inward, if you like. They gather us around God's Word. They gather us together uh, with His people to pray and to worship and to learn. All very valuable things. But none of those habits propel us outward into the world as those who've been sent to share the love and life and light of Christ. And so what this book proposes is in addition to those habits that you already have, we now add some habits that enable us to come more regularly into contact with those who are not part of the church community with the ambition of sharing the love of Christ with them very naturally and relationally. Last week, we spoke about the first habit, which is to bless three people each week three people each week. And Terry spoke about that word blessing having its origin in the meaning of the word is to add strength to one's arm. And there were three practical ways that we could bless people. Do you remember what those are? Words of encouragement or affirmation, yes. Gifts, yes, good Rob, gifts. And does anyone remember the third one? Kind deeds, good, thanks, Dave. Okay, so words of affirmation, gifts, or kind deeds. Really practical things that we can do to bless other people. And the idea, the encouragement is that we, we each bless at least one person from the church. So as a body, we're blessing and encouraging one another and enriching the fellowship here. We are also making a tangible effort to bless someone who's not part of this congregation, maybe a neighbour, a friend, a work colleague, a family member, someone who is not yet part of the body of Christ. And then that third person can actually come from either category. Um, We examined Paul's kind of two-pronged approach to evangelism. And so last week we looked at how Paul encourages the church to actually pray for those who have the gift of evangelism, those who are gifted evangelists, to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Um, and, and so we, we identify, so leaders in the church in particular are tasked with the responsibility of identifying those within the congregation who are gifted evangelists and to support and release and enable them opportunities to share the gospel. And the rest of us are to get about, in Frost's words, living questionable lives. 
lives that raise and generate intrigue and interest, and that we may be presented with an opportunity to share the hope that we have within us in a gentle and respectful way, as Peter says in his first letter. So that's kind of what we talked about last week, and the practical application was blessing. Today, we're going to talk about a a way, quite a surprising way, as to how we can be a real blessing to those around us. Before we get into it, though, let me ask you a question. How would you complete the following sentence? The Son of Man came. Yes, to seek and save the lost is probably what comes to many of your minds first. Uh, That's Mark 10.45, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The next one, yes, uh, Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. But here's another one from the Gospel of Luke. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's probably not what we associate, first of all, when we think of the Son of Man came. You see, those first two scripture passages talk about why the Son of Man came. Ultimately, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. This third verse, however, talks about one of the ways in which he did that. Very, very earthy and practical and everyday. One of the ways that we can surprise the world is how we use our tables. A table is one of the most common pieces of furniture in a household, is it not? And uh, many of us perhaps have not really thought about the table as a tool for mission. But I'm trusting that at the end of this morning's brief message, you will be convinced that The table is indeed uh, a powerful tool for mission. And let's talk about how the table can shape mission in our neighbourhood, not just here in the church, but out into our neighbourhood. One of the most surprising things about Jesus was who he ate with. His critics regularly accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Now, Jesus was neither of these things, but he was prepared to eat with people who were considered tax collectors and sinners and and prostitutes, social outcasts. He was prepared to share tables with unexpected people, with people a good Christian would not normally associate themselves with. These were the people whom Jesus kept good company with. What this did was give his enemies lots of ammunition to use against him. And that's why they kind of coined that term of Jesus being a drunkard and a glutton. Of course, he was neither of those things, but the company in which he kept gave his enemies good ammunition to refer to him as being those things. Let's think about Jesus' first miracle. His public ministry began at the wedding at Cana, where he turned the water into wine. Now, right here is a surprising way in which the table can be used for mission. The water jars that Jesus used to turn water into wine were actually set aside for ceremonial washing. 
associated with Jewish purification rites. If a Jew felt that somehow they had been contaminated by a Gentile, they would wash in this water and recite certain prayers to restore themselves to a sanctified state before God. Now, many of us know that Jesus turned water into wine, but perhaps we haven't considered what the purpose of the water was that he used to turn water into wine. It was used to purify oneself from mixing with Gentiles. <laughs> and Jesus uses that very water and he turns it into wine. Now, wine is a universal symbol of hospitality, of celebration. Of, of life, of vitality and enjoyment and, and relationship. What an incredible miracle. And Jesus takes this symbol of separation between Jews and Gentiles and he actually turns it into something that brings people together, that binds people in relationship, that enables people to enjoy one another's company. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus does. He breaks down barriers. And he continues to do this all throughout his earthly ministry, breaking down social barriers because the kingdom of God has come and the invitation to the banquet is open to all who would receive. In Luke's Gospel, we see how frequently Jesus uses the table to surprise his fellow guests. It is at the table that Jesus accepted the worship of a sinful woman and criticizes the self-righteous Pharisee, Simon. It is at the table that Jesus dispensed advice for how to welcome the poor into our lives. And it is at the table that Jesus revealed himself as the risen Lord in Emmaus. We too can use our tables to break down barriers, to break down barriers of uh, social, religious, ethnic barriers. The table is a place where people can meet and share. Surprise the world by how you use your table. In his book, Surprise the World, Michael Frost says, we should be radical socialisers. What a thought. How can your socialising be more radical? <laughs> Along these lines in their book right here, right now, Alan Hirsch and Lance Ford say, sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. <laughs> if every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. <laughs> I can see a few smiles. <laughs> that sounds good, doesn't it? So the table can be a surprising place that gets people asking why we are breaking bread 
with unexpected guests. But secondly, the table fosters community. Have you ever seen an older couple eating in a restaurant in complete silence? (laughs) It's an odd sight, isn't it? Because the table, maybe they've got to that stage in life where silence is just bliss. I really wish I was at that stage now. So far from it. (laughs) Oh, goodness me. If I bring the three boys, there won't be silence though, Greta. That's the problem. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the table provides a forum for conversation and friendship, for rest and reconciliation. At the table, we talk. Uh, Last night, um, Bron and I were really blessed to be able to go on a date, and uh, it was just wonderful. And, you know, the thing about, for us, we've, this has been a practice we've tried to do our whole married life. try to go out when we can and sit down and have a meal and be served and just get away from all of the distractions. And, you know, we connected on a level and we spoke on a level that we haven't for some time. We're in a season of life where we've got to get those times where the two of us can just be together and talk and connect. But, you know, I was sitting there last night and and just having this amazing kind of heart-to-heart with my wife, uh, really listening to her, really just communing with her, enjoying good food and wine and just enjoying that time together and thinking to myself, it's amazing what happens around a table, isn't it? It is incredible what happens around a table. And the big idea for us today is just to consider who we share our tables with. Who do we share our tables with? with. You see, us Christians can really get into these holy huddles, can't we? I'm certainly guilty of it, and I know many of us are, where we have a tendency to invite people we know, people from our own church, people who we're very comfortable with, people who are just like us, to our tables. (laughs) Because we're comfortable with that. I'm sure that for many of you, even for me, the thought of inviting strangers, people we don't know that well, because when the Bible talks about inviting the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, these are not your best mates. These are people in need. Um, These are not the nicest smelling people always. These are not the people that have necessarily the same mannerisms as you, that have the same values as you, that, you know, are the same as you. These people are different to you. Now, this might be a little bit scary to actually think about what would this mean and what would this look like? And you know what it would look like? Completely surprising and unexpected and that person would be thinking why on earth am I here and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about please 
don't for one second think that I am in any way the expert and have this down pat. I'm just as challenged as you are. But I guess we each have a, a response, don't we? And a responsibility to consider how we're going to take this scripture seriously and not just pass it over as if that was something that Jesus meant for his disciples 2,000 years ago but doesn't mean for his disciples today. You see, if you're a disciple of Jesus, this teaching is just as much for you and for me. In Jesus' time, a person would never eat with someone of different social standing and certainly never with someone of a different religion. Jews would never eat at the table of Gentiles. It was unclean. But Jesus turns this on its head and he eats with these people first before he calls on them to repent. He eats with them first. Ben Myers says of Jesus' presence at a sinner's table, contact triggered repentance. Conversion flowered from communion. Conversion flowered from communion. What a beautiful thought. Conversion flowered from communion. We see it in Jesus' attendance at a meal at the home of Zacchaeus. His communion with the sinful tax collector led to his repentance and his conversion. Frost encourages us to become radical socialisers like Jesus and to socialise with people who we wouldn't normally socialise with. Thirdly, the table mirrors the character of God. Eating with others can, in fact, reflect a profound theological practice because it mirrors the character of the triune God. Look at this artwork of the Holy Trinity. It was painted around 1410 by Andrei Rublev, and it depicts the Father, Son, and Spirit gathered together around a table. It's a beautiful image of the fellowship of the three persons of the Trinity. So when we gather around a table, we mirror relationship. Relationship being the very core and centre of who God is within himself, Father, Son, Spirit. Janice Price puts it this way, hospitality becomes the modus operandi of mission as those in common participation in the life and mission of God meet and receive from each other. This mirrors the hospitality of the Trinity as God chooses to open himself up to the other through the incarnation and subject himself to the created order. I don't think it's any coincidence that when Jesus gave his disciples a practice to remember him by, it was by breaking bread and drinking wine. Today, when we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper, we do it in a very formal and orderly and liturgical way. But the first Christians did it in the context of a banquet. The table, therefore, was the primary symbol of worship, not the pulpit, not the choir, not the band. The table was the primary symbol of Christian worship. We've been, through, we've been reading through Michael Frost's 
book, Surprise the World, in which he encourages us Christians to live questionable lives, the kind of lives that will trigger questions from our neighbours and invoke questions that will enable us to share our faith. The way we eat can be intriguing. By refusing to be gluttons or drunkards, we can model the character of God, foster community and surprise our guests with our table fellowship. So the challenge for us this week and as we go about developing and fostering this habit is to eat with three people each week, one of whom is not a member of our church. Now, you won't need to add... The the idea of this is not to add more into your already busy schedule. Firstly, it's to examine the 21 meals that we all already eat. Now, of course, some of those meals are going to be completely impractical to invite a stranger to breakfast or whatever it might be in your house, okay? But the idea is to actually look at the meals that we have and to say, are there three of those meals that we could see as open times where we could invite others to come and share the meal we're already having. This is not about having a fancy dinner party and sending out invitations months or weeks in advance. It's about having that that spirit of hospitality. It's about having the extra food ready. And it's about simply inviting people to come in and just to be part of your home, of your family, of your table. Perhaps it's going to be more practical for you to share at someone else's table. Fine. Perhaps it's difficult. Maybe you work in Sydney or somewhere where, you, you know, there's a neutral table where you can eat at together. But the idea is that we intentionally begin to share tables with people who are different to us, as well as people who are like us, as we encourage one another and foster. Can you imagine being part of a church community where every person in that church, every week, is seeking to bless someone from within their church and eat with someone from within their church? How wonderful would this place be? How much love would there be amongst the members of that church? And do you know what Jesus said? People would know his people for their love. One of the most practical ways that we can show love to another person is inviting them to our table. Let's pray. Jesus, you are always unexpected in what you ask your followers to do. And it certainly should not surprise us because you are, after all, the Saviour, the King who went to a cross. Lord, I sit here or stand here in my own discomfort at the thought of having a more open table to people who are different to me and I'm sure that my brothers and sisters here this morning feel much the same. Help us, Lord, not to get our cues or our values from the world from those subliminal messages which tell us to associate and socialise with people like us because that's comfortable and easy. But may we keep coming back to look at the scriptures and to look at the way you modelled life and ministry. And today we've been challenged to consider the way you 
ate, who you ate with, and how you went about ministering through sharing meals with people who are different to you. Lord, would you spur us into action, uh, help move us from good ideas and good intentions to action. So I pray that even this week, Lord, you would prompt us by your Holy Spirit who you would have us invite to share our table with. And I pray, God, that as we surprise people and live questionable lives by being hospitable, that, Lord, opportunities would open up to share of your kingdom and that over meals, that over food and and drink, we can share about the hope that we have within us. Thank you, Lord, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Raise us up as workers, Lord, who will go. We might only have to go so far as the person down the street, the person that we see in the supermarket, someone we know through school or through work, wherever it is that you're calling us to go. Help us to be found faithful as workers of the harvest. We love you, Lord, and we thank you again for this time. Amen.